welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. This is a very important show, and it gives me great pleasure to bring it to you. The title of today's episode is Holocaust Survivor Tells How It Really Was and Why Never Again. This episode of Dr. Carol's Couch commemorates International Holocaust Memorial Day, which is January 27th, 2022. As time goes on, there are fewer survivors left to tell their story. We're fortunate today to have one of the survivors here with us, Dr. Jacob Eisenbach. He was born in Poland and has an amazing tale of survival, beginning when Hitler invaded Poland He and his brother hid from the Nazis until they were finally caught. They were brought to a ghetto and ended up in a German concentration camp. He lost his family during those dark days and eventually made it to America, where he became a dentist. These days, his mission is to tell his story to assure Holocaust deniers that the Holocaust really did happen and to try to make sure it never happens again. He speaks all over the world against hate, discrimination, anti-Semitism, and genocide. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Dr. Jacob Eisenbach. Welcome, Jacob. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lieberman. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. You're very welcome. Um, I watched a, a documentary video um, that Dr. Eisenbach uh, has made and um, called thestarofdavid.com. Well, it's called The Star of David, and it's at thestarofdavid.com. And I certainly it's, it's, um, it's that, would... It's the star of Jacob. Oh, I'm sorry. Why am I saying da- The Star of David? Well, we know why I'm saying David, okay? <laughs> All right, yes, the star, the star... Now that we both messed up our names... <laughs> Okay, thestarofjacob.com. I really recommend that people, after you listen to the show, that you watch that because it is so beautifully done. Um, uh, Dr. Eisenbach, you know, talks through it and, and gives his uh, description of, what his, of, of his story. But also there are pictures um, and there is beautiful music that goes with it. It's just really amazing. Okay. So, um, Dr. Eisenbach, where should we start? We should start when you were born, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So just take it away. And and please um, include the part that you had in the video about your mother, what your mother used to um, do with her children, with you, and how that helped you um, to survive. Don't, just be sure to include that because that was very Absolutely. touching. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Well, I was born on April 27, 1923. That makes me 98 and a half years old. Uh, next year in April, I'll be 100 
years old. Wow. As a, as a night witness to the Holocaust and to genocide, I feel a moral obligation to speak about this to the world. How hatred led to the greatest crime in human history that the Nazis carried out. One of the great Holocaust survivors who just passed away recently said once again that we should not allow the enemy to enjoy one more victory by allowing the greatest crime in human history to be erased from human memory. And this is why I'm speaking about it. I spoke about it all over the United States, Australia, and I continue to speak about it since I retired from dentistry about six years ago. As I retired from dentistry, I did not retire. I assumed a new profession to speak about the Holocaust and the great crimes the Nazis carried out so the world will hear about it forever and ever. The ultimate goal is never again. They killed six million innocent Jewish men, women, and children, plus millions of others. We had 16 million Jews worldwide before World War II. By the, th- by the time the war was over, we got down to 10 million. And now, the Jewish nation worldwide is back to 16 million, mostly due to the Orthodox Jewish people who believe in having large families. Uh-huh. Hitler came to power in 1933. Shortly after he came to power, he started arming Germany. He had an air force. He had tanks. He had heavy armaments and munitions. He had trucks and motorcycles. And completely unexpectedly, on September 1st, 1939, Hitler started World War I, World War II, excuse me. A few days before World War II started on September 1st, 1939, Hitler signed a non-aggression pact with the Soviet Union President Joseph Stalin. They decided to divide Poland 
the Soviets would take Eastern Poland and the Nazis would take Western Poland and they would not interfere with each other's activities. On, in, in, in June of 1939, there was a ship, the St. Louis, that arrived at American shores with 947 Jewish refugees who were escaping the deadly hands of the Nazis. They asked for asylum. That asylum was denied to her. Hmm. Why hmm. was it denied? It was due to our Secretary of State. His name was Cordell Hall. Hmm. He was the longest lasting Secretary of the United States for 12 years. And he was Hitler's Secretary of... He was President Roosevelt's Secretary of State. And he was telling President Roosevelt that we can allow, we cannot allow these people to enter the United States because they have no return addresses. Preposterous. He did not carry a swastika on his arm, but he carried hatred in his heart. That ship had to return back to Europe some of those people were admitted by some other European countries, but some of them ended up into the hands of the Nazis who murdered them. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know that story. One year later, in June of 1940, another ship arrived at the American shores. It was a Turkish ship with 850 Jewish refugees looking for asylum. They were escaping the deadly hands of the Nazis. Mrs. Eleanor Roosevelt, the wife of President Roosevelt, bypassed her husband, the president. She bypassed Cordell Hall, and she went to the State Department and negotiated with high officials with the State Department, and she obtained entry visas for those 850 refugees hmm. seeking asylum. And they hmm. disembarked in Virginia, in June of 1940, what a great humanitarian Mrs. Yes. Eleanor Roosevelt was. Yes. Now, let's, can we start, though, um, let's go back to you being born and what your life was like as a little child. And... Um, you know, and then your story. I think everybody would like to know your story. Okay. I was very lucky to have a wonderful childhood in my family. My parents adored each other, and they adored their four children. 
I had an older sister, Fela, three years older, and I had two younger brothers, Sam and Henry. I was the oldest of the three brothers. My mother never went through the Holocaust. She died one year before the war broke out in 1938. She had rheumatic fever during childhood that affected her heart walls. And in those days, the medical profession has no solution for that problem. Now they replace valves. She was, when I speak about my mother, I like to say that she was not human. She was an angel in a human body. She would gather her four children. She would put her arms around us and bless us by saying to us, you are my greatest possession. She never knew what that blessing will do for us because she did not go through the Holocaust. But it kept us going and made us feel that we are important and that we are loved. And no matter what Hitler did or said about us, he could not possibly eliminate that feeling that we had about this injustice. Why did Hitler hate the Jews? I was asked that question. Well, two great reasons. I did some research on that question, and I found a book with Hitler's speeches. On page 222, Hitler said why he hated the Jews. Because... Yes. Because it was the Jews who brought the ancient and out ideas of justice and morality to the world and Hitler Hmm. did not believe in justice and morality he wanted to build a German empire without justice and without morality and the Jews were in his way and the other reason Hmm. Hitler hated the Jews is because his father was an alcoholic and he was working for a company that was owned by Jewish people and he was driving a truck and it was dangerous for a truck driver to be drunk all the time. Mm -hmm. And the owners of the company had no choice but they had to fire him because he was drunk Mm -hmm. all the time. And Mm. this is another reason Hitler hated the Jews because they fired his father from this company. That's very interesting. On September 1st, as a complete surprise, nobody expected it. Hitler 
attacked Poland and the Soviets attacked Eastern Poland and Hitler attacked Western Poland. And a few days after they entered Western Poland, they started building a concentration camp in Lodz, my hometown. My hometown had 700,000 inhabitants and half of them were Jewish, 350,000 Jews. He built, he took the old part of the city, built a wrought iron fence around it, and every 200 feet around that fence, there was a watchtower which was manned by Nazi soldiers with machine guns and searchlights so nobody could escape. Yeah. On May 1st, 1940, a few months after the war broke out, the Nazis announced that all Jews have to be inside that ghetto. And any Jew found outside the ghetto after that date would be shot to death on the spot. That was May 1st, 1940, just a few months after the start of the war. Before the ghetto was hermetically shut off from the rest of the world, My, it was possible for <clears throat> Jewish people to escape to from Western Nazi-occupied Poland to, to the eastern part of Poland occupied by the Soviets. The Soviets did not kill Jews. Among those people who escaped was my sister Fela. She was the most beautiful girl with an intelligence to match. When she was a junior in high school, <coughs> she and one of her girlfriends developed a new language. They were speaking Polish words spelled backwards fluently, like to speak yeah. normally, and nobody could yeah. understand what they were talking about. Yeah. She escaped to the Russian part of Poland with a few of her girlfriends, and she settled in the city of Lwów, L-W-O-W. After May 1st, 1940, when the ghetto was hermetically sealed off from the rest of the world, we did not have any newspapers, we did not have any mail, and we did not have any radio. And we had no idea what was going on outside the world. And we did not know what happened to our sister fella in the city of Lvov. After the war... Uh, I met a lady from the city of Lvov, and she told me what happened to the Jews in the city of Lvov. In 1941, Hitler decided to break the non-aggression pact. He signed with Joseph Stalin and invade the Soviet Union. He was advised by his top political and military advisors not to break that 
non-aggression pact with the Soviet Union. Napoleon tried it in 1812 and he failed miserably because he could not supply the front lines on the Russian front because of the brutal Russian winters of 50, 60 below zero and five, six feet of snow. And Napoleon retreated. And that's what his advisors told Hitler, that he will not be able to supply the front lines. But Hitler made the great, one of the greatest mistakes that he ever made. He disregarded that advice because he wanted to get the three million Jews living in the Soviet Union mm. and get them into the guest chambers. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Eisenbach, we need to um, stop right now to take a break. Uh, this is a good po- point to stop. And when we come back, we will continue with your um, very interesting and, um, you know, really... Well, we're going to be getting even to uh, to the scarier parts, uh, to where you hid and then were found, and so on. When we come back, so okay. stay tuned. My guest, my guest is Dr. Jacob Eisenbach. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, and we will be right back. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today's show is called Holocaust Survivor Tells How It Really Was and Why Never Again. My guest is Dr. Jacob Eisenbach. He was born in Poland. He has an amazing tale of survival. Um, under um, He was there when uh, when Hitler 
invaded Poland, and um, we're, we're, in, we're in the midst of hearing about um, his story, his sister, um, who ended up, who, who escaped from Poland, but then ended up, who escaped from um, the side of Poland that the Nazis held captive, but then um, she eventually was um, killed in the part when the when Nazis invaded the other part of Poland that was belonged to the Russians. Um, we're going to be hearing lots of interesting things, so I don't, with no further ado, because I want to give most of this time to uh, Dr. Eisenbach, I just want to remind you again that the video of his story uh, can be found on the Internet. It's called, uh, well, you can go to thestarofjacob.com thestarofjacob.com and um, not only will you be hearing uh, parts of his story but um, but also uh, the vi- video I mean sorry pictures um, visuals is what I want to say visuals um, of those times as well and of course this I'm doing this show today because it's uh, in honor of International Holocaust Memorial Day which is January 27th 2022 And um, there are, Dr. Jacob Eisenbach is one of the few, and certainly one of the few um, uh, so um, well-spoken members left of the Jews who survived. He's going to be 100 in April, so um, that's wonderful, and he's sharing his story with us today. So we left off um, when, well, we left off right before you, um, Dr. Eisenbach, right before you, well, no, right before your brother Henry, you started, you were, your brother Henry got typhus. So tell us about that part of the story. Yes. On May 1st, 1940, Hitler hermetically sealed the ghetto of Lodz. Nobody could get in and nobody could get out. And one of the first things they did, they were in full control of the food supply. And they gave us just enough food so we don't die from starvation. But I saw many people in the streets of the ghetto dropping dead in the streets from starvation. In addition to starvation, we had a Typhus epidemic in the ghetto, a very deadly disease. We had our own Jewish doctors in the ghetto, and two hospitals were included in the ghetto. My youngest brother, Henry, at the age of 11, developed a high fever in that ghetto. We called the doctor. He diagnosed him with typhus and told us to take him to the hospital, which we did. The next morning, I was on my way to a, to my job. I had a little job there, and I was passing one of the two hospitals, but it was not the one that Henry was in. So what do I see? There was a big truck in front of that hospital, the kind of truck that is used to transport cattle with spaces between the boards. And the truck was guarded by Nazis with machine guns. And they were carrying out patients from that hospital, loading them on that truck 
30 layers of life, people on top of each other. When I saw that, I started running to the other hospital. It was about three miles. On the way, I met another truck like this, which was m moving in the direction of away from that hospital that I was going to. And I stopped for a moment to look between the boards to see if I can spot Henry. That truck was loaded, 30 layers of life, people on top of each other. I didn't see Henry. The Nazi driver of that truck had a companion who had a machine gun. And when he saw me looking at that truck, I was looking between the boards. I didn't see Henry. He started shooting at me, but his bullets did not reach me because I was in front of an apartment building and I ran into the building. And that truck continued on its way away from that hospital where I put Henry the day before. And I continued running to that hospital and in front of that hospital was a third truck just like it being loaded with patients. And the truck was guarded by Nazis with machine guns. The hospital compound was eight foot high. The, the, it was surrounded by a fence eight foot, eight feet high. You couldn't get in. I went to the back of the hospital and there was a crowd of people outside the fence and nurses were handing all the patients over to those pit to that crowd to save them from the Nazis. I climbed that fence. To this day I can't figure out how I climbed an eight foot fence. I was five foot four, but I did. And I walked up to the room where I put Henry in the day before and Henry was not in his room. So I asked the nurses, where is Henry? He was carried out 15 minutes ago. He was in that truck that I crossed on the streets. Those patients were taken to the guest chambers the day they arrived in Auschwitz, and they were guests to death the same day. Hmm. <coughs> uh, <clears throat> and I have never seen Henry again. Two years and, after and the war broke lost, out. And you had lost your father. So by that point, you had lost your mother because she died before um, the war, before right. the Nazis came. And then um, you lost Henry, uh, yeah. the, how you just described. Now, you, your father, you said, um, well, you didn't say it. Your father was received a, a deportation notice. Why don't you tell us what happened uh, to him? Because at this point, it was only your brother Sam and you left. Exactly. I had an extended family of about 100 people. I'm the only survivor of that family. My father received an order for deportation with 600 other men. And we had no idea what they were doing with that group of 600 until after the war. I met 
one of the 600 who managed to escape from that group, and he told me what the Nazis did to them. They had them carry heavy rocks from place to place, useless work on a starvation diet, and they all died out. In the meantime, they were shipping Jews out of the ghetto in train loads of seven, eight thousand dollars uh, uh, persons per, per load. And the train conductors were telling us that they're taking those people to Auschwitz, Treblinka, and Majdanek. And they never see anybody coming out of there, and they could smell burning flesh in the air. So we knew what the Nazis were doing. My entire family was already shipped out. And it was only Sam, two years younger than me, my brother Sam, and myself, who are still alive, out of my extended family of a hundred. One day, I received an order to report for deportation, and that was a death sentence. I knew exactly where I was going. The Nazis were shipping those people to the gas chambers, and and they they told them that they're carrying out the final solution without telling them what they meant by the final solution, but we Jews knew exactly what they meant by the final solution because of what the Polish train conductors told us. I received this order to report for deportation, and I did not report because I knew where I was going. I was going to the guest chambers. I disobeyed the order, and I went into hiding, and Sam was with me. He did not get the order to report, only me. And we managed to hide for about a month. Before that, we were living in a single upstairs room with squeaking wooden steps leading to it. And neighbors were telling us that the police was there looking for me. There was a padlock on the outside that friends of mine put on. We were hiding in that room. After I ran out of places to hide, we decided to go back to that room because the police was there and saw the padlock and they walked away. They decided there's nobody in there. And one night, it was 20 below zero outside and 20 below zero inside. The room was empty. And we decided that after we run out of places to hide to go into that room. And a friend put the padlock on the outside. And we put a, the room was empty, empty, and <clears throat> so we put a pile of straw in the corner. And my brother Sam and I were hiding in that pile of straw. And one night, we hear 
heavy footsteps coming up those seeking those squeaking wooden steps with loud voices. It's the police. They come and get to me, not after Henry. He didn't uh, was in order to report for deportation. There were two policemen, and one of them had a flashlight, and he saw the padlock on the door, and he said to the other policeman, well, there's a padlock here, there's nobody there, let's leave. And the other guy was a wise guy, and he said, no, let's not leave. Let's get a crowbar and, and break off the padlock and see what's going on inside. So they went downstairs, came back in a few minutes with a padlock, knocked off the padlock and opened the door. And the first policeman with the flashlight looks around the room and he says, well, the room is empty. There's nobody here. Let's go. And the other guy says, no, let's not go. Let's look at that pile of straw. And he finds us. And I knew that this was my end. Harry, uh, my brother Sam, two years younger, did not have to go. He could have said, Jack, I know where you are going. You're going to the guest chambers, and I'm not going. But this is not what Sam said. He said, Jack, our entire family is now gone. It's only the two of us that are left alive. Now they are taking you away, and I know where you are going. I am not staying here by myself. I'm going with you. Where you go, I go. And whatever happens to you will happen to me. That's the kind of a relationship, loving relationship we had in our family. And when we and come family. back, because we have, we have to take another break, but when we come back, we will hear where they both went and um, the horrors of the, of the war, of the Nazis. My guest is Dr. Jacob Eisenbach. We need to take a break, but we will be right back and hear the rest of his story. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Um, We are talking today with my guest, a very distinguished man, Dr. Jacob Eisenbach. He is one of the few living survivors of the concentration camps of the Holocaust. And um, he speaks, um, as you will hear as he continues his story, when he eventually got to America, he became a dentist. uh, But now he is spending his time, he retired from being a dentist, and he spends his time being a speaker. So um, if you would like him to, and he's also, of course, during COVID, he's speaking by Skype. And so you can find him uh, on the Internet as well as um, the video that I've talked about, the starofjacob.com. So, okay, when we left off, the Nazis had found you, um, Dr. Eisenbach, and your brother um, under the pile of straw, and they took you away, and then what happened? They loaded us into a truck. 150 people per car and in that train. And so there wasn't even enough room to turn around. Three days and three nights. And they stopped at Auschwitz. We were at the doorstep of the guest chambers. But they did not unload us in Auschwitz. In the last moment, the train conductors got orders to change directions. And instead of unloading us at Auschwitz, they took us to Skarzysko. There was a munition factory in the city of Skarzysko. And adjoining that factory was a concentration camp with 6,000 Jews who were operating in that factory. And this is where they unloaded us. And we were working in that munition factory. I met my future wife in a very romantic place. And that is that munition factory in the concentration camp in Skarzysko. That camp was surrounded with, with uh, Nazi towers, with machine guns, so nobody could escape. Uh, on, we, were, we were in Skarzysko for just a short time. They took us out of the ghetto in April of 1944. 
and they moved the factory to the city of Czestochow, farther away from the, from the fighting front and closer to Germany. And we had to roll, we had to move those heavy machines we were working on in that munition factory on wooden rollers. And one of my best friends fell under the machine, broke a leg, and was screaming in excruciating pain. And a Nazi soldier came along and took his gun out and put a bullet in his head. My blood was boiling, but my friend was dead. He wasn't about to help a sick Jew. On the night of January 15 to 16, 1945. All of a sudden, the Nazi soldiers were ordered to run for their lives because the Soviets are after them. They disappeared to the watchtower in the camp of, on, on, in Chosokhov with their machine guns. And not a single one was in sight. The Jewish commander of that camp advised us not to leave the camp at night because there were bullets and shrapnels flying all over the place. Wait till the morning. So we listened to that advice. And the next morning, Sam, my brother Sam and I, and my girlfriend Irene, walked out of the camp free. My brother was 20 years old, and I was 22. We were Polish citizens, and we were Polish patriots. Sam joins the Polish army, and I enroll at the university in Lodz. Within two years, Sam received a rank of colonel in the Polish army. And the army decided to send him to the city of Białystok, which was known to be very anti-Semitic. And before he went to Białystok, he changed his name from Sam Eisenbach to Stanisław Adamowski, as Polish as you can get it, to hide <laughs> his Jewish identity. And they shipped him to Białystok. And two years after the war, in 1947, Henry was coming back from his office. He was in command of a division of 10,000 soldiers. And an anti-Semite was waiting inside his home. The anti-Semite discovered that Stanislav Adamowski was a Jew. And as soon as Henry came in, this anti-Semite put a bullet in his head and he killed him on the spot. That is so um, sad. I mean, everything that you've been talking about, of course, is very sad. But I mean, here he survived, uh, Sam survived the war, survived the Nazis, and then only to be killed by an anti-Semite after the war, after, after the Holocaust. Right. Right. So, so you were studying uh, uh, at the university. What were you studying? 
I was studying uh, uh, free dental. Oh, uh-huh. So, so <clears throat> now I'll backtrack just a little bit. In 1946, one year after the war, <clears throat> in the city of Kelce, about 60 miles from Lodz, the anti-Semites came out into the streets of the city with crowbars, and they killed 43 of the few Jewish survivors of the Holocaust. And we're afraid that the next day they may come to Lodge and do the same thing. So my wife and I decided to live in Poland, to leave Poland. Henry, uh, I mean Sam, did not want to leave because he had that high rank. We couldn't leave because the Soviets were ruling Poland. They had a policy not to allow their people to leave their country. They didn't want them to see how people live in free societies. So there was a Jewish organization in Palestine. Israel wasn't created yet until 1946. And uh, Bricha was the name of that organization in Hebrew, it means escape. They came to Poland in the middle of the night and took us over the border into Czechoslovakia in the middle of the night. And the Polish border guards were looking the other way. And I don't have enough words to praise this, the Czech people. Czechoslovakia was a free country in those days. They mm-hmm. received that like great friends. And they told us if we have any relatives, any place in the world, if we just give them their name and the country they live in, and we'll find them. And they did. They found a cousin who left Poland with her husband a year before the war and left to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Uh-huh. And they found him for us. After the pogrom in Kelce, we decided to leave Poland and that Bricha organization took us to Czechoslovakia. From Czechoslovakia, we went to the American zone of Germany and we settled in the city of Frankfurt because there were some friends of mine, childhood friends who were there. And I enrolled at the University of Frankfurt. I studied dentistry for four years. And as soon as I finished dentistry, I, we left Germany for the United States with my wife mm. and with my oldest son, uh, Harry, who was two years old. We came to the United States. The law required that if you have a foreign dental degree, you cannot practice. You have to get an American degree. So I got an American degree at the University of Iowa. Mm. They admitted me with advanced standing on the basis of one interview. There was a new dean who said to me, I cannot admit you because I'm new here, so I'm going to call it a 
senior faculty member, he calls Dr. Tone, Erling Tone, and he said to Dr. Tone, Dr. Eisenbach has a German degree, and he would like to be admitted with advanced standing, and you don't have to give me your answer now. I just want you to talk to him. I talked to him for 10 minutes, and Dr. Tone said, I see no reason why we cannot admit Dr. Eisenbach with advanced standing right away. And I got my degree when I was in practice in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, for, for 18 years, after which we moved to California. And that's where we live now. I well, now, one, I, I want to ask you one more thing. I read a story... Um, in the L.A. Times several, maybe a year ago or so, about you and about a man who found you, who knew you when you were in the concentration camps or knew you at some point in the, in the story that you've been telling us, and he, he, he managed to find you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, yes. You know? Yes. So there was a man who... In the, in the ghetto of Lodge, was getting up <clears throat> and gave, gave fiery speeches about losing freedom, freedom and being handled by the Nazis by killing them in gas chambers. And he came to see me after the war. He and was, it was this, and it was this um, big reunion. You were happy to see him. You were happy to see each other. I <laughs> right, we were very happy to yeah. to see each other. And uh, well, I okay. have been practicing dentistry since I retired uh, after sixty years, and but I did not retire. I continued. Uh, in a new profession, and that was spread the story of the Holocaust and genocide. Yes. And, yes. And, and we are working in the direction of eventually spreading the world. The world is against genocide. The world is against mm -hmm. Holocaust. So we're working in the direction of Never again. And that yes. day will come when the, there will never be another Holocaust and the state of Israel is here to stay forever. This is yes. what, what, well, well, what... Well, unfortunately, we, we have come to the end of the show, but you really told your story beautifully and obviously passionately and... Um, you have my deep admiration, and I'm sure that of my listeners, and I just want to tell people again to go to thestarofjacob.com, thestarofjacob.com, and um, Dr. Uh, Eisenbach is um, doing speaking engagements, um, including now doing them through Skype, and obviously his story is very moving and would be um, a treat for your organization. So thank you, Dr. Eisenbach. Thank you so much for sharing your story, a story of bravery, a story of 
you, you've gone through so much, and now um, your your passion of sharing this story and making sure that it happens never again is so important. So thank you. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 